0: Over and away. Yeah, well, you're right. What is amateur this amateur hour? This is gonna be huge. I believe this is gonna be our finest hour. Just when I think you said the stupidest thing ever, you keep talking. I think that's the worst thing I've ever heard. That boy ain't right. The simplest way to put it? I have problems. Welcome to the alleged show. Taking you over the hump, it is a Wednesday edition of the Sports Rush, your daily local sports fix, 4 to 6. I am Brett Rump along with Adam Lundy. We've got a big hour on the way. We've got Sam King from the Lafayette Journal and Courier who will join us coming up in about 15 minutes. Also, we'll talk the latest with Justin Fields in Chicago. Did social media tip us off as to what the ultimate destination will be for Justin Fields? Uh, Talked about this in the first hour. And I uh, want to bring it up that there's a lot of debate on whether or not high school basketball needs a shot clock. And everybody wants to point at that anomaly, that one game out of the 50 games that they could find that had someone maybe being very patient with the basketball. I don't I have not seen a game in some time where someone just stuck it under their arm and held it against their hip. I haven't seen that. Where someone is willing to just burn the clock down and try to get one possession out of a quarter, or or maybe with four or five minutes left. Now I've I've seen it before where it's happened, but it hasn't been a a regular occurrence. It's been a game where you know maybe things were going a little out of hand up and down the court, and you've got a one point game, and instead of it going back and forth and each team taking a one point lead, that team decided. Hey, it's time to slow this down, tuck it, tuck it, hold it, and not do anything with it until we get to the final minute. So it's us that has the ball last, because right now it seems like every time a team has possession, they're gonna score. And so I've seen it. But in most cases, I think that's the only real argument for a shot clock when you hear people say, Oh, it's gotta it's gotta be part of the high school game. Here's the problem that I have with shot clocks for high school basketball. Shot clocks are part of a game meant to speed up talented players who are athletic, who are skilled enough to play at a faster speed, and maybe they had refused to do so unless they had a shot clock that forced them to play at a more active pace. But I think, much like Wildcat baseball, You can't put a pitch clock on a Wildcat baseball game because there may be a pitcher who needs some coaching and needs some instruction. And so, therefore, they might have to take their time to work on their fundamentals and improve. I think you've got that in high school basketball. I think there's players that fundamentally can be very sound. They're just not talented basketball players, and in some cases, they're not skilled athletes. And so to speed them up does them nothing as far as helping them learn the actual game of basketball. Nobody wrote the game of basketball that it's the first one to 80 wins. It's the one who ends the game with the most points. And no one requires you to have a minimum number of points to be declared the winner. And so sometimes it evens the scale a bit. You take a team that's really speedy, athletic, maybe more talented and gifted than another team but the other team can play possession basketball, limit the number of possessions in a game, and therefore stay around and hang around and maybe hope that other team with limited possessions gets out of rhythm, gets uncomfortable, takes some shots they shouldn't take, and eventually maybe you've got a chance to win a game that you shouldn't win just because you played a different style and you approached the game differently than the team that was so athletic. You put both those teams into a shot clock blender, and when it comes out, the team that's more athletic and more talented is probably going to win those games nine times out of ten, if not more. And so um, I look at, at the Saturday, this past Saturday, as a prime example of another reason why we shouldn't have a shot clock. Norwell led Bremen 42-4 to four at the half. A 38-point lead. It was a mismatch in talent. Clearly, Norwell was more skilled, overall more athletic, and just better than Bremen. The only chance Bremen had in that game, which they didn't actually utilize, was to perhaps limit the number of possessions. And instead of going to the locker room down 38, maybe they could have gone to the locker room down 18. Give them a chance to just buy some time and make some adjustments. And I think that's what we've got in Indiana are great coaches that if they can keep their team close enough that they're not out of range. And in this case, the game got out of range. But if they can keep their team close enough that they can keep them within range and keep them on the radar, maybe they can make an adjustment or two. Maybe they can keep the confidence of their team. Bremen knew that at halftime, this game was over. There was no chance they were coming back from being down 42 to four to the number two team in the state who had just knocked off the number one team. But just imagine if you take a game that normally has uh, 50 or 60 possessions, and you can get it down to where maybe there's only 25 or 30 possessions. Is it bad basketball? No. Maybe that's fundamental. Maybe that's part of the game plan. But what is more entertaining? Playing a game fast that ends up being a 40-point win for one team over the other... Or playing a game slow that might be a 10-point game in the fourth quarter. What game you know, and so everybody wants to argue that it's so boring to watch teams that play at a slow pace. You know what's boring is when that team plays at a fast pace and they're down by 50 going into the fourth quarter. And and that's what you will end up with in the shot clock era, should it be adapted by Indiana high school basketball is you'll end up with games that maybe could have been competitive if it would have stayed in the 30s or the high 20s, and maybe you could have had a game that ended up 32-25, but you put a shot clock into that game, and it ends up being 75-30 to, to 30. because the team that's talented is going to gain a huge, huge advantage by automatically speeding up the other team because they're on the clock, not because of the defense you play. My feeling is if a team wants to play faster, they've got to make that happen and control the tempo of the game on the defensive end. You might have to trap. You might have to pick up three-quarter court. You have to do things to maybe force turnovers or force action from your opponent. And so I believe there's a strategy involved that would be lost if we went to the shot clock and i think our coaches are too good to take that away from them and when you have the the range of of talent in this state that you've got where some of the really lead 4a programs and even some of the good 4a programs are significantly better than 2a or 1a just because of the kids they've got in that community and the, the players that come out for basketball i i like the challenge of a 1a or 2a to figure out a strategy against that better 3a or 4a team That might involve slowing the game down a bit. You may want to play a game in the 30s and 40s. They might want to play a game in the 70s or 80s. And who's going to win that battle? Can they speed you up or can you slow them down? That's part of the game. Right now, everybody will play at a certain pace. I just don't think there's enough consistent talent throughout high school basketball to make it an even playing field for everybody to play under the shot clock. And I think, you know, you look at a game like Bremen where it didn't get slowed down. I mean, there was nothing that the shot clock would have changed about that game, and it still would have been a 42-4 to 4 game, but that's my point. Bremen maybe had a chance if they if they understood the disparity of talent, just how far behind Norwell they were. Unfortunately for Bremen, they'd been playing really good basketball uh, without slowing it down. But they played into Norwell's pace. Norwell got into rhythm. Norwell hit shots and Norwell took a 38 point halftime lead, 42 to four. But you'll have games like that if you put on the shot clock that probably at this point could have been a 20 to 12 game at the half. And instead you end up with 42 to four. Uh, I just, uh, you know, that's just one example of why. We don't need to alter high school basketball. It is still, uh, a, to me, an extracurricular activity that we want to encourage kids to participate in. And we don't want them deterred because the team that they would play for and their high school can't compete with teams that that play fast. And by speeding their team up, they would be dominated. They would be... Um, not, you know, not in games that maybe they could actually compete in. But I don't like it, and the other reason I really don't like it, of course, the cost is one factor. But the other thing is, already we have an issue with fans that don't necessarily show great sportsmanship toward our officials. And what's happened? We've got a shortage of officials. We need some former players to step up and and take on the responsibility of being the next wave of high school basketball officials in this state. We need you to do that. If you're a former player, instead of just sitting around the house, make a few extra bucks, go onto the IHSA website, look at information on how to get involved as an official. And it's, uh, it's not that hard to help the game that you played that might've made you into the person you are today. And maybe the person that's qualified to be a high school official. But, um, but the whole, the whole scenario is with the shot clock. You're adding essentially an extra official, someone who's going to have to make some calls on whether a ball hit a rim, didn't hit a rim. They'll have to have the shot clock reset. They'll have to be on their best game. And you've got all these schools around the state, 400 of them, that are all going to have to find somebody who's qualified to do it, probably find a backup or two. And then when you have... JV games, freshman games, varsity games all going on in the same night. You've got to have two or three people working the shot clock. And that's not necessarily an easy job. And so people are not going to be well qualified to all to, to take over as the shot clock operator. They will make mistakes. And right now, every time an official makes mistakes, which they will do that too, it happens. We can get a little upset about it, but we've got to also understand where the line is drawn for good sportsmanship. And right now, that line is crossed far too often. And if you have a shot clock operator who's getting paid 25 bucks or whatever it is to sit there and run the shot clock, it's an extra 25 bucks that doesn't have to be spent. And it's 25 bucks that isn't going to replace the abuse that they could take if they screw up and it involves a big play in the game. They're going to hear about it. And that's not fair to them. That's not fair to the high school players. It's just, I I just, I'm not into it, man. I don't think we need a shot clock. The game doesn't suck. It's a different game at high school than it is at college and pro. College and pro, it's a, you know, uh, it's the elite of the athletes. It's the most skilled of the players. And making them play fast is fine because you have to recruit them to that. High school kids aren't supposed to be recruited. And most small communities, there's not a lot of recruitment going on. You deal with the players you get and the guys that come out to the team or the girls that come out to the team. And you're not going to be able to all of a sudden decide, boy, this is a talented group. We can play fast this year. Usually it's a it's a you know a smaller school that ends up having a little slower pace and I'm all I'm good with that if that's what makes you most competitive more power to the coaches who come up with the game plan and the players that execute it and play a 30 to 28 game I'm fine with that I'd rather have 30 to 28 and have a good competitive game that's played fundamentally sound than to have an 80 to 26 game that's played at a crazy pace where it exposes one team's deficiencies in athleticism and talent 46862 is parkview sports medicine text line 46862 sam king is going to join us talk purdue basketball coming up here in just a couple of minutes Welcome back to the Sports Rush, your daily local sports fix, 4 to 6. Of course, you can always weigh in on the show on our Parkview Sports Medicine text line at 46862. Right now, time to talk some Purdue basketball. And joining us for that conversation from the Lafayette Journal and Courier is Sam King, who covers the Boilermakers. And uh, Sam, Purdue comes off a somewhat shocking loss to Ohio State on the road. Of course, no road game is a given, and we've seen that with this Purdue team. But what went wrong in your eyes in that Ohio State game on Sunday?
1: Uh, well, I think, uh, first of all, Ohio State's got great individual talent who uh, maybe hadn't collectively played great together a whole lot this season. Um, early on, yes, but here recently, no. And it just seemed like it was one of those days where everybody was playing well at the right time and uh, also playing for a an interim head coach probably sparked a fire under some guys, too. But... Uh unfortunately for Purdue it was the next team up on the schedule when uh that coaching change happened and a uh, great start for the Boilermakers, but then you're right, it, it went just completely wrong with turnovers, um bad shot taking, uh Ohio State going on a run. They're at the end of the, the first, first half and the start of the second half. Uh and then it was really just kind of uh a, a, I guess, a collection of different things. Um, but overall, it was the, the turnovers and those turnovers really turning into, I think, 24 Ohio State points. You take even a couple of those turnovers, turn it into easy layups away, and, and it's probably a different ball game. But uh, that's been kind of the theme for Purdue when it has lost this season has been. Uh, turnovers, and then the points off of those turnovers.
0: How concerned should Purdue fans be about Zach Eadie's performance? Turned it over, I think, six times against Ohio State. Also, he's been struggling of late, not necessarily just uh, in Sunday's game, but he's been struggling uh, of late at the foul line. They can't afford to have Zach Eadie not playing at his best as they hit into March.
1: Yeah, and uh, I think that probably goes to a credit to Zed Key in that Ohio State game. Who seemed to really time up uh, Zach Eady when he was going up to the basket and was able to, to dig the ball out and just swat it away numerous times? And I, uh, I talked to Zach today about that. I said, Did you see something that maybe was a tell that made him able to time that up pretty well and, and just be able to swipe the ball away from you every time you went up? Um, if you ask Zach Sunday, he'll tell you he was getting fouled quite a bit, which may or may not be true. But today, having seen the film and had some time to digest it, will tell you that, yeah, you know, I was, I was probably doing some things that made it easy for them to take the ball away from me, and I've been working on that. So, you know, but it's not uh, maybe so much what happens uh, in a loss, it's how do you get better from that, and uh, you hope that Purdue takes this and translates that into uh, not making the same mistakes uh, against Rutgers tomorrow, against Michigan Sunday, so forth and so on. Uh, but, yeah, I'm not totally concerned because I don't know if over the course of four years anybody's worked harder than Vakini to go from a guy who averaged like 1.7 points per game in high school to being a probably two-time national player of the year.
0: Sam King joining us from the Lafayette Journal and Courier. And, uh, Sam, I, I brought this up uh, on Monday's show that – Purdue certainly has heard what's being uh, talked about on social media. And when you talk Purdue basketball, a lot of the talk is always, yeah, that's a nice win. Let's see what they do in March. Or they're doing well now, but it doesn't really matter. Let's see what happens when it's one versus 16. It seems like this team is being measured and the success of this season is being measured solely on what happens in the NCAA tournament. How does Purdue avoid some complacency? Because that, that was my point. It, are they going to be emotionally connected to every single game when all they've heard for the last, what, 9, 10, 11, 12 months has been about the NCAA tournament?
1: Yeah, and, uh, you know, I think it's been a gradual getting better at different things. Um, and the thing that Purdue has had to do is own that that loss to Charlie Dickinson. There's no avoiding it. Everybody on that team, coaching staff, players, they know here in a, a couple weeks that every question that they're asked is going to center around something that happened a year ago. And uh, the only thing you can do is admit, yeah, we, we failed. It happened. Um, and, you know, probably the best thing to do is just get in the tournament and win a game or two and get to that second weekend. And then it's, uh, you know, hopefully it becomes a, a non-story because, by that point, you're in the Sweet 16, and it's more about the matchups going forward. But you're absolutely right. Um, anything that happens in the regular season um, is irrelevant for this team. You know, Purdue's probably going to win a Big Ten championship, and people are going to say, yeah, so what, you were expected to do that. Um, can you make a run in the tournament? And that's ultimately what you're going to be measured on. And, uh so far, for you know all the years that Matt Painter has been the head coach at Purdue, and even the, the 25 years before that, Purdue hasn't made it to a Final Four. And there's a lot of impatience, uh, especially when you talk about the success that Purdue has had over the course of you know those four decades. Probably is the best men's college basketball program that hasn't been to a Final Four in that time as a whole. So uh, it's now just about... You know, can you block that out and uh, get in the tournament and, and make a run
0: here? It seems to me it's pretty clear there's three uh, teams in college basketball who are the three best teams, but then uh, the debate can be on as far as who comes next, although last night maybe one of those three teams didn't necessarily look like it as Connecticut got whooped by Creighton. But how safe is Purdue As a number one seed, do they have some margin for error? Can they lose another game and still safely be on that that one seed line? I
1: think uh, Purdue could lose another game in the regular season and in the Big Ten tournament and probably still be solid uh, just based on the resume as a whole. Uh, Nobody's played a tougher schedule. Uh, Nobody's beaten more quad one teams this season. Uh, and I fully expect that Purdue probably loses at least one more game in the regular season, whether that's at Illinois or you know just one that uh, you don't see coming like this Ohio State game. Um, it's probably going to happen, uh, but but I think Purdue is probably solidly on a one line, whether that's the number one overall seed in the tournament or the you know the fourth number one. It doesn't really matter once you get in the tournament, you, you have to play the teams in the in your path, and uh, I think Purdue is probably going to. Um, be a one team playing a 16 seed, and uh, we're going to hear, hear a whole lot about what happened last March for you know the stretch from the end of the Big Ten tournament all the way until that Thursday Friday opening round.
0: How do you describe Fletcher Lawyer right now? Is he in a slump? Is is that fair to say? I mean, what? Because to me, the one thing he does that earns his minutes is shoot three pointers, which provides the balance for Zach Eady inside. So maybe it's just I see it, and it's highlighted when he isn't connecting at forty percent or better from three. But um, what? How do you see Fletcher Lawyer right now, and what he's got going on with the Boilermakers?
1: Yeah, I think uh, because he's shot so well this year. Last year, you know, he didn't shoot very well down the stretch, and the decision was easy for a lot of defenses, was you double Zach Eadie and you let Fletcher Lawyer have three-pointers, and if he makes him and beats you, so be it. But uh, right now, I feel like, you know, here for the last couple of games anyway, teams are taking that away. They realize that this is a guy who's in the game solely because he can make shots from the outside. Uh, We've got to take that away because uh, if you get Fletcher Lawyer going, um, Tennessee knows what happens uh, for sure. Arizona knows what happens. Uh, He can light it up in a hurry. And uh, right now he's he's not really helping you offensively. And when he's not giving you the offensive production, he's not uh, solid enough defensively probably against uh, certain players to uh, be a guy that can be on the floor, which is why we've seen some minutes here. The last couple of games from Ethan Morton, mm-hmm. and, uh, Camden Heidi, uh, you know, Fletcher Lawyer's not giving you production offensively. Um, you've got to make a decision there. And, uh, teams have been able to take that away. I think there will be a game probably where Fletcher Lawyer goes off and scores 20 points. Um, maybe it's tomorrow night. Maybe it's, it's one of these next four games left in the regular season after that, but, uh, he'll get it going. I think it's right now, it's just teams have kind of, circled him as that's a guy that's a weapon that can beat you and and they've seen it happen against some uh, high-profile teams.
0: it's very tough to just flip a light switch and all of a sudden play your best basketball but do you think purdue played its best basketball early and now has to find that magic again
1: uh it's you know matt painter talked about this today uh he's like "A a lot of teams in the country right now probably every team in the country right now would take winning nine out of 10 games uh, in a conference like the Big Ten, that um, you're judged on your last game. So right now the sky is falling for the fan base and, and media and, and people alike. But Purdue is not worried. Uh, I don't think that Purdue probably played a great half against Minnesota in the first half and then looked really good in the second half. I would say for 25 minutes against Ohio State, Purdue didn't look great and then looked uh, sensational there for you know, a 10-minute stretch uh, in the second half at Ohio State. But you got to put it together for 40 minutes. Um, and that's kind of been the issue here uh, in a few games as of late. Um, but I don't, I don't think that it's anything where Purdue feels like it's hit a slump or anything like that. Last year I would say, yes, that absolutely happened. Uh, come February, Purdue uh, kind of went downhill a little bit um, for a stretch. And part of that was you're playing freshmen who have never gone through a whole season of grueling college basketball. I think Purdue is more prepared for that now, and uh, I would not be surprised. Rutgers is a team that always plays Purdue tough and and plays great defense, but if Purdue goes out and uh, is able to put up uh, a a nice, solid home win against Rutgers, which is a team that has always given Purdue fits here for the last five years or so, um, then people can start to say, okay, maybe it was uh, an anomaly, what happened at Ohio State, not so much uh, the team is on a slide all of a sudden.
0: Always appreciate you, Sam. It's great having you uh, join us, and I look forward to talking to you again as we just about get to the end of the season here. Yeah, it
1: snuck up on us
0: quick, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I was, I was thinking, you know, we'll talk to you again soon. It's like, yeah, we better talk to you soon, because if we don't, we might not be talking Purdue basketball anymore. Yeah,
1: it's, uh, spring football is right around the corner. So <laughs> yeah. the way as long as possible.
0: I hey, appreciate it. Thanks so much. Sam King joining us, for the Lafayette Journal and Courier here on the Sports Rush. When we come back, I'll give you my breakdown. Norwell Gibson Southern. Uh, what are some of the key things that Norwell has to pay attention to in taking on Gibson Southern on Saturday for a state championship? Also, Butler. Yeah, they didn't do it. It wasn't the Butler that did it last night. They fell short, and we'll tell you about that. Also, Big, big game tonight with Mastodon's women's basketball. Huge game. We'll tell you why it's so big. All that coming up. And Justin Fields, he's unfollowed the Bears. What does it mean? Man, we've got a lot to cover. And it's the Sports Rush doing it on a Wednesday on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Cup went last night again for Butler. They fell short against Villanova, 72-62. I'm telling you that Butler's chances to get into the NCAA tournament are fading away as they keep wasting opportunities to knock off one of the top-half teams in the Big East Conference. Uh, I know know it would be kind of a marquee victory, but I feel like Butler, if they're going to make the statement to stay off that bubble and be on the right side of the bubble, they need to have one of these wins, and they keep blowing the opportunities. They've got them on the schedule. They're just not getting it done. Last night it was 72-62 to Villanova. A five-minute and 24-second stretch of the first half. They had just a single three-point field goal, and they never really recovered. As they ended up down eight, nine points, then they'd make a run, they'd get it down to two, then they go down eight, nine points again, get it down to three, then down to four, then they were down to six. But it kept going back and forth, but it was always Villanova getting separation. Butler having to use a lot of energy to try to close the gap And eventually they never got over the hump. Butler Falls last night. Coming up tonight, you've got Indiana versus Nebraska. This this day started with Nebraska (laughs) being a one and a half point favorite. And this day might end with Indiana being a two or two and a half point favorite. Yeah, today was weird with the line. It just moved. I mean, all of a sudden it and 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 the thing was it was one and a half, Nebraska was the favorite. Then it was one and a half, Indiana became the favorite. So uh, it just completely flipped during about uh, a four-hour stretch this afternoon. Caught me off guard. Yeah, and I mean, I don't really do the whole gambling thing, but uh, yeah, I, I mean, usually don't see major swings, you know, half point or a point maybe, but yeah, yeah, a, a swing where the favorite was changed by a point and a half from Nebraska to Indiana. But uh, that game tonight it can be heard on our sister station, WOWO 92.3 FM. With Don Fisher and Company, uh, the home of Indiana basketball all season, WoWo 92.3 FM. Also, a special programming note uh, because we're going to have Purdue and Michigan, the game coming up on Sunday, uh, pregame 1 o'clock, tip at 2 o'clock, and that also will be on WoWo 92.3 FM. Purdue basketball normally right here at 1380, the fan. Uh, But it will move over to WoWo on Sunday because the Mastodons take on Milwaukee on Sunday afternoon uh, in a Key Horizon League game. And coming up on Friday night, of course, we've got your high school basketball coverage. But uh, on the stream, you can check out the Mastodons against Green Bay. That will be up in Green Bay, Wisconsin. And we will have the tip at 7 o'clock, the pregame at 645, only available on the stream at 1380thefan.com. All right, so we also have state championship basketball. We've got everything covered, right? Oh, yeah. Coming up on Saturday, both the 2A and 3A games, they will be broadcast right here. We've got Derek Decker with the call of 2A Bishop Lewers versus Brownstown Central. And then Josh Williams has the call of Norwell Gibson Southern. Norwell 23-4, and four. Gibson Southern is 25-4, and four. and for Gibson Southern, they've got two big-time scorers. Gabby Spink, a 5'9 junior, averages 20 points per game, has taken an average of about six threes a game, hits 31%, but she's also gotten to the free-throw line. Two areas that Norwell needs to try to defend is, one, don't let her shoot the three, but when she goes to the basket do not foul her and let her get to the free throw line where she's also been dangerous this year and then you've got Chloe Graham who's a 5-9 senior guard couple of 5-9 guards uh Chloe Graham has taken 192 threes <laughs> 7 more than Gabby Spink and has hit 42% of them oh man that's some sharp shooting yeah so clearly a 3 point weapon For Gibson Southern, Chloe Graham, over half of her field goal attempts are three-point shots. So she certainly likes to set up and fire uh, from distance. She averages about 17 points per game. So those are the top two scorers. Gibson Southern, so far in their tournament run, has beaten three top ten teams en route to Indianapolis. Those three teams ranked eighth, ninth, and tenth. And they are trying to beat their fourth top ten team, in number two, Norwell, come Saturday. Uh, speaking of whew, female basketball, of course, it's girls in high school. It's women's basketball when you get to college. A mm-hmm. uh, big one tonight for the Purdue-Fort Wayne women. They are on the road at Northern Kentucky. And, uh, you know, we talk about how important this week was for Purdue-Fort Wayne taking care of business at home Because they had two home games against teams that were just behind them in the standings. And Uh you had to try to get some safety and separation with those teams. Now you take on a surging Northern Kentucky team who has played really well of late. In fact, they've really been scoring. Uh, This week, they not only had the player of the week, but they had the freshman of the week in the Horizon League. Uh, So they're coming in with great confidence. Uh, Northern Kentucky... Only has nine wins on the air. They're nine and 16, but sometimes you can throw the records out because when teams get hot, it's the time you don't want to play them. And right now, <laughs> Northern Kentucky's gotten hot. Uh, they're trying to get themselves uh, securely into a position to uh, host a first round game. And probably they look at it and think, you know, we've got an outside chance of getting a first round bye. They're only a game in the loss column. Behind uh, Detroit Mercy and Wright State, who right now are sitting fourth and fifth in the league, and they've come from basically nowhere uh, to to making that run. So they've got, I mean, they've got aspirations to get into that top five and get the first round by, or maybe even the top four, which is not out of the question. The Mastodons come into the game tonight, ten and six on the year and seventeen and ten overall, which, by the way, is the same one loss record as the men's team at purdue fort wayne uh mastodon's also trying to even up their road record on the season at seven and seven and we mentioned the other day that the mastodon's men's program is six and five with a winning record on the road so a big one tonight for maria Marcassano and the women's basketball team sitting right now in a somewhat comfortable position in third place mm-hmm. and they won't lose third place tonight no matter what happens But they could be real close to fourth, fifth, and sixth and seventh if they, if they lose it. So, and their next, uh, well, not their next game, but they've got a game next week against Green Bay, who's one of those top two teams with Cleveland State and Green Bay, both 14 and two in the Horizon League. And so they've got a tough one coming up next week at the Gates Center. So Justin Fields the other day unfollowed the Chicago Bears. And you kind of feel like this is cryptic messaging, kind of giving a, a insight into the mind of the quarterback that if, if he wants to disassociate with the Bears on social media, then maybe that means he wants to disassociate with the Bears as his employer. And I would not be surprised if that is the fact. Now, when you're going to be questioned by the media, you're going to come up with an answer where it's not going to be, yeah, I unfollowed because I want the heck out of here. That's not what you're going to hear. Right. Right. You're going to have a politically correct answer and try to have some discipline. The agent uh, has probably talked to him and said, hey, look, if you get asked about this, here's here's what you say. And so he had a pretty well rehearsed answer. Uh, just saying that you know, he's tired of social media, he's going to be taking a vacation, he doesn't want to hear the back and forth with Bears fans on social media talking about whether Fields should stay and be the quarterback for the future or whether they should draft Caleb Williams. That, I mean, that part probably is true. The problem is just after after the draft, it's still not going to go away even if the Bears decide Justin Fields is our guy. Because if he is the guy in Chicago, every time Justin Fields has an off game or uh, the Bears lose and Fields doesn't have spectacular stats, it's going to be his fault. It's going to be the uh, front office's fault for not drafting a new quarterback. We're stuck with Fields. We had our chance. That stuff is not going to go away. And so if he doesn't like it now on social media, it's going to be all around him next year like a big cloud. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, I mean, there's no margin for error for Justin Fields. He can't have an off game because that will set everybody off again. So uh, I just feel like if that is bothering him to the point that he has to to unfollow the Bears account, then he probably will be better served to go somewhere else.
1: I think he'd be great in Atlanta.
0: Why do you say that? Just just do
1: just do. I think he'd be great in Atlanta. OK, Atlanta. <laughs> now there's just a lot. There's of talk
0: points. about Pittsburgh. There's talk about Atlanta. A lot of talk about Russell Wilson to the Steelers. Really? Yeah. That's the new buzz? That's the new buzz, my friend. Uh, I, I keep thinking Washington, new coach, maybe uh, turn a new leaf with the quarterback. Yeah.
1: Although they kind of like that Howell kid. I don't, I don't
0: know. Yeah, he had some moments, but then kind of faded. Yeah, so... Could be an interesting uh, quarterback carousel this offseason. Got to take a quick break. We come back, wrap it up next. It's the Sports Rush on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. All kinds of programming notes that we've got to tell you about coming up tomorrow here on the Sports Rush. It will be Shannon Griffith, the coach. How about that? I read the entire sentence this time. Griff is going to be in tomorrow. Derek Decker fills in for me on Friday. I'll be up in Wisconsin for the Mastodons Green Bay game coming up on Friday night. Also don't forget high school basketball coming up this weekend. Two A title game with a tip somewhere around twelve forty five to one o'clock. And the three A title game with Norwell and Gibson Southern at 612 will be the tip. We'll be on the air by six o'clock with your pregame coverage on Saturday. We've got Purdue right here on the radio tomorrow. Tonight, Indiana basketball against Nebraska on our sister station, WoWo92.3 FM. Woo, lots of cover. Big thanks to you for keeping with us here on this Wednesday. Big thanks to Kevin Bowen, who joined us in our number one. Also, thanks to Sam King, joining us from the Lafayette Journal and Courier. I'm on the road. Have a great Wednesday night. This has been the Sports Rush on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM.